Welcome to the One Question Podcast, brought to you by Wabi Sabi Studios. I'm your host, Michelle Cox, and I love having unlikely conversations on uncomfortable topics. It's a huge passion of mine, so much so that I wrote a few books a while back that challenge people's notion on living a life more unconventionally. This entire podcast stems around one question. If there was one topic you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Sometimes we need to be doing movements that are counter to what we think we should be doing. If we're a fast-paced individual and we're constantly doing high interval training or fast-paced exercise, not always going to be the most beneficial. Here on the One Question Podcast, we bring you inspiring stories from extraordinary individuals making an impact in their fields. Today's guest is no exception. We're thrilled to have Erica Hornthal, known as the therapist who moves you, joining us today. Erica is a board-certified dance movement therapist and licensed clinical professional counsellor with over 20 years of experience in the field. As a founder and CEO of Chicago Dance Therapy, she has helped countless individuals use movement to tap into their emotions, gain greater self-awareness and heal from trauma. She is also the author of the award-winning book, Body Aware, which explores the connection between movement and mental health. Get ready to be inspired as we dive into Erica's journey and how she's using dance and movement to help people transform their lives. Erica, it is so fabulous to have you on the podcast all the way from Chicago. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's lovely to be here. I wish it was in person, but but that's okay. Have you been to Australia before? I have not. So I didn't necessarily think you would come here. I wouldn't put anyone through our cold Chicago's, but I would love to go to Australia someday. It's on my wish list. Yeah, well, I just said I've met my stepson's new partner, just arrived on the weekend for a wedding and it's her first trip from the States. So she was super excited and we showed her, we took her out and she found kangaroos on the weekend. So you can imagine oh, she was beside herself. Oh, a good time, yeah. It was wonderful. But Erica, we're here to talk about some really interesting stuff today. So let's kick in. If there is one thing that you wish society would talk more about, what would it be? Well, I think we're doing a really good job of talking about mental and emotional health. I would love if people centered more of that conversation around the body and movement. Mm, I like that. And you have a really interesting dance studio called the Chicago Dance Therapy. Can you tell me why this is a topic that's so important for you and why you're so passionate about it? Yeah, as a dance movement therapist, I have this unique expertise lens approach that integrates nonverbal communication, bodyfulness, mindfulness, movement habits, movement analysis, and talk therapy to help support the mental health of an individual that's socially, culturally, physically, cognitively, etc., And I think over time, what has really pulled me into this direction of highlighting movement and mental health is just how much we decentralize the involvement that the body plays in how we think. The body is really not just integrated into that, but our movement habits and patterns are really where our mind and our thought patterns come from. And yet when we have concerns or thoughts or mental health issues, 
we so rarely go into the body. We just talk about it. And I know that that's helpful for many people, and I'm not knocking that. Talk therapy, any type of mental health therapy is better than nothing. But I really think we're doing a disservice when we are not bringing more of the body into the conversation. I love that. I think it's such an interesting and so I was so keen to get you on the podcast because I've always loved to dance and I mean I love to kind of move my body anyway. I've always been very active but dancing and the freedom and getting that energy out of your body. I've always been energetic but I'm just intrigued about the theory I guess behind it and you're a certified dance movement therapist and I've never heard of that role or that term, I'm going to have to search to find a dance therapy here in Australia as well. I'm sure there are some around, so I'd be curious on your thoughts there. But why is this an area that's more and more popular? Are people starting to recognise the benefits of it? I mean, as I say, I always feel better when I move my body and especially if it is to music, but I didn't quite realise the more cognitive benefits of it that you're sort of discussing now. Yeah, well, I don't think it's a coincidence that the more connected we are to technology, the less connected we are to our bodies. We ask AI, right? We ask Google, we ask Siri. We're not thinking critically and we're also not learning to listen to or tune into our own body's wisdom because Siri can't answer those questions for us, right? So it's not to throw technology out the window. I think we just need to be very intentional, mindful, and careful at the very least of how much we outsource to technology because a lot of that is actually outsourcing our embodied intuition, our kinesthetic or embodied empathy, if you will. We're losing ourselves. We're losing connection. We're unable to create healthy boundaries. It's just, again, it's not a coincidence. And while dance movement therapy isn't new, it is a relatively new field It started in the United States in about the 1940s, late 1940s. I always say dance as a healing practice is as old as the beginning of time. You know, I think a lot of us these days recognize that social media involves a lot of movement and a lot of dancing, whether it's for entertainment or it's to get a point across. There's a reason that we engage in movement or we enjoy watching that movement and Dance is tricky because we tend to think of it as the art form of dance. And dance actually, in its own movement practice, if you will, is just a series of rhythmic body movements that express an idea or a thought. And that's something that we're all capable of. It's something that we all do. And again, we tend not to focus so much on it once we have a certain cognitive ability, unless that ability is challenged. So I think it's really invaluable for people to get back to basics, to get back to what they were born into, this basic embodiment, this basic knowledge of sensation and needs, right? Getting a need met and not always relying on the mind. We have to feel our way in sometimes to think our way out. Oh, I like that. We have to feel our way in to think our way. Oh, that's cool. Tell me what happens, Erica, in a session. Do people come to you for different reasons? Is it all different reasons why they might want to come and do dance therapy? And then out of that, what kind of happens? Is every session really different or is there a process that you have found that really works for most people? 
So the reasons that people come to me are varied, but I also have come to a general population, if you will, of people that I'll work with. So quite early in my career, I was only working with older adults that had some type of cognitive deficit like dementia, Alzheimer's, a movement disorder, maybe like Parkinson's or Huntington's. So my population now has really evolved, especially because of COVID. I'm working with a much younger population, still seniors as well, but I would say mid-20s to 60s, lots of anxiety. And I think the common denominator for a lot of my clients is either there's a plateau in talk therapy or they recognize that there's a difficulty in speaking what they're experiencing. Okay, so I'm with you in a session. I've come because I want to release stuff. Does the session go for an hour? Talk me through that. Like, I just, I'm curious about what, what actually happens. Yeah, I can only speak from U.S. experience, but typically our talk therapy sessions here, our psychotherapy sessions are 50-ish to 60-ish minutes. So my sessions are usually around the hour mark. And it's most important that we meet our clients where they are, right? And for me as a movement therapist, that means meeting them also in their body. So if possible, I like to engage in some movement early on that allows the client to understand how they experience their body. And those can be very minute kind of mini movement assessments, if you will. It's about having somebody walk around the room, not for me to judge them or comment on their walk, but for them to start noticing, how do I experience my body? What am I aware of? What are my patterns? What are the rhythms that I engage in? What's the timing? What's the pacing? Am I rushed? Do I take my time? Do I take too much time, right? And what are the judgments that I place on my movement? And then we talk, you know, if someone's able to, I want to get as much information from them as they feel I need. The body tells the story. So I always say, we don't have to do a lot of talking. We will find out very quickly what we need to work on. Sometimes it's music. Sometimes it's actually freely moving. I do have some clients that just want to come into the space unbiased, non-judgmental as it is, and just move. And I get to witness that. And if there are common themes or movements that come up, we can talk about them afterwards. You know, I noticed this movement came up many times. What does that feel like for you? What comes up in your mind as you engage in that movement again? And for some clients, it really is just talking, right? It's just like a talk therapy session. But when we stop, right, when we, we reach a plateau or something really traumatic comes up, and we no longer have the ability to speak through it because those parts of our brain go offline, that's when we can bring in the body and we can use it for self-regulation. We can use it to widen our windows of tolerance. So there's no one way that it looks, but over my practice of almost 15 years now, which is still just a drop in the bucket for so many psychotherapists, I have kind of created a methodology, if you will, that works to get clients aware of their body, feeling what it's like to be in their body. And I would say generally speaking, it has this flow to it, but each session is very different. And the themes and the topics and the reasons why the client might be there, what they've experienced that day that they want to talk about is always different. So it's really also about in the moment, bringing in metaphor and tying that into movement as well. Yeah, very cool. So I'm trying to picture it here. So are you moving with the client as well? Or are you sitting there? 
And then you're sort of observing them, as you said, like watching if there are particular moves that they're doing regularly. Yeah, a little bit of both. I definitely have sessions with clients where we are moving together. It might be a bit of a mirroring situation. It might just be moving independently in the same space together. And then I've definitely had sessions where I either have been asked, right, to witness what's happening, or I just recognize in my body that it's time or it is the right time for me to just watch. And I let the client know that it's not me critiquing. It's not critical. They might feel me judging them, but I'm not here to judge their movement. It's really just to be that soundboard, if you will, right? Just like a psychotherapist would say, so what I'm hearing you say is dance movement therapists have the ability to say what I see you feeling, right? Or what I see you expressing through your movement is. And instead of saying, you're sad, you look nervous, like we get to just reflect the movement. And then we can ask the client, what do you see in that? What does it look like for you? How does it feel? So we're getting to build a relationship with our body while we're also building this therapeutic relationship as well. Yeah, interesting. And I mean, I've done some somatic work before and I remember a particular, I like laid on a table and this therapist had, I don't know, we call it a lilo in Australia. It's like an airbed on top of her massage table. So it had air in it and it moved. And she just held my head literally, I don't know how long it was, maybe it was 20, 30 minutes. And she held my head at particular points in my scalp and she did lots of cranial work. And my whole body started shaking. I remember it so vividly. And she was saying after, she's like, you are releasing so much stuff. Like there was just so much emotion or things like historically that had sat in my body and she was helping me to release that. But if I'd never experienced that, I mean, it probably to people listening, they think, well, that sounds really weird, but it was unbelievable. So, I mean, I'm curious about your view and the theory and I guess the research in this sort of space around how the body holds emotion, tension, you know, all those trauma, I guess, for years and it holds it the muscle and how your therapy helps to release that. Well, I guess starting with that, I think this form of therapy in particular helps because the body holds everything, right? So that sometimes the mind isn't even aware of what the body is experiencing or we don't have words to it. And so we just, we meet it in its existence and then we can bring it to light. We can become more aware of it or at the very least just create space to, to allow it to exist, right? And maybe move out, move on. So, you know, with regard to research, because that comes up a lot, right? And I've been doing this work for enough that you know, makes sense to me. And I hope that I've found more accessible and digestible ways to explain it. But I get it. I hear it sometimes in my head or I hear someone else talk about it. And those red flags, right, of like, well, that sounds a little bit woo-woo. Anybody that's thinking that, like, I'm right there with you. I questioned it from the very beginning and I sometimes still do. And the only thing that keeps me connected to it is seeing it in real time, that it works, right? But there is research. And a lot of the research... It's hard to find, which is why people don't think it exists. It's very well protected within somatic circles, and it's not always easy to search for, right, on the internet. It's maybe held in certain libraries, right, of institutions that teach these things. So it's not always easy to find. But there's a lot of research out there, whether it's dance movement therapy or things like somatic movement therapy, somatic experiencing, And how I like to describe it for people who maybe are just coming into this work 
is that our body has movement patterns, right? Just like you would experience maybe an infant, right? Or a newborn growing through, we'll say neurotypical development, learning to sit, learning to walk, learning to crawl, etc. But what we don't always understand is that those movement habits or developmental milestones also have psychological milestones that go with them. And that as our movement, our body is connecting from the inside out, learning to interact with the world and the environment and the people around us, we start to build our minds. And it's really through movement and relating to our environment, stacking our spine, learning to sit and do things independently, finding the ability to stand on our own two feet before we literally become mobile. These quite literally translate to phenomenon as adults, the ability to stand on my own two feet as an adult, the ability to sit in polarities, something I like and something I don't like, making a choice or a decision, adulting. There's a reason that sometimes these things are difficult. And what's so beautiful is we can go back to the body and we can repattern them. We can look at how there have been adaptations or missteps in a sense. And so people listening might think, well, I sat and crawled and walked just fine. You know, I didn't have any trouble with that. It's not things that you would necessarily see. It's not, oh, I didn't walk until I was. I mean, sometimes that's part of it, but it's how we learn to do these things. So many children are actually being sat up in devices and they're actually learning to sit up before their body is capable of doing it on its own. That misses a few steps when it comes to creating that pattern within the body of movement connection. So there's a lot of research in that realm by women like Bonnie Bainbridge Cohen, Peggy Hackney, Irmgard Barteniev, Rudolf Laban, These are men and women that really set the stage for movement analysis, movement assessment, body-mind centering, et cetera. And it's just so foreign to a lot of us that we automatically think, oh, that's woo-woo. I don't know if I buy into it. Yeah, it's interesting. And I think your whole premise is around the mind-body connection. And I love your point about mental health and where our body health is absolutely paramount in that. And I think a challenge people that think this is woo-woo to think about like literally in a fight or flight moment, often your body feels the danger before you register what's going on, right? Your body kind of freezes, your heart goes a million miles an hour, your hair stands on end or you get goosebumps or whatever. And that's stress, I guess, is that we're living in that heightened space because of lots of different reasons in our environments a lot these days. Our body doesn't get to have that relaxed sort of notion. And what I'm kind of feeling is the way I move, some people say they need to run every day or they need to do yoga or get their body moving. But through that sort of dance release, even if you're just shaking about, just shake a bit in the shower or whatever, to release that energy out of your body and relax those muscles a bit. And so there's there's definitely a connection there and things like the work that you're doing, your studios, etc. but also the book you've written recently called Body Aware. Tell us a bit about that. I mean, that obviously you talk about the experiences through there, but do you give people tips and some ideas of things that they can do themselves to kind of work through some of this stuff if they can't get to a center like yours? Well, first of all, it's broken into three parts. The first one is really about redefining the way we move and how we look at movement It's looking at how we can use movement as a catalyst for change. And then the last part is about movement for transformation. So I think that's very relatable to all of us, whether we identify as a mover or not. 
And then within each chapter, yeah, at the end, there are highlighted areas as well as what I call movement prescriptions that people can do to become more body aware. But the whole premise really for the book was to help people understand that we are how we move. And so many of us that are looking to change things about who we are or how we think, we're doing it from a cerebral place and we really need to be doing it from the body. So even when you said some people go for a run or they go to yoga, hopefully those things are beneficial. But what a lot of people don't understand is that they are perpetuating movement patterns that keep them in stress, that keep them in fight or flight. So if you're running and it actually provides a release for you and you feel physically and emotionally better, fantastic, keep doing it. Some people continue to run quite literally because they're running from something, right? And it just, it feels good. It gets my heart rate up and I stay in shape, et cetera. But sometimes we need to be doing movements that are counter to what we think we should be doing. If we're a fast-paced individual and we're constantly doing high interval training or fast-paced exercise, it's not always going to be the most beneficial. The book is really about understanding how we can build more robust movement vocabularies, which gives us a spectrum of movement. I know how to move fast and slow, hard and light, advance and retreat, because the more well-rounded our movements are, the more resilient we are in mind and body. And that's something we all need more of. You've just answered something for me because, <laughs> yeah, I'm a fast-paced individual, a very energetic Me too, soul. me too. <laughs> and I've been doing yoga for 25 years. It took me a while to find it, but I love it. I love it so much. And I always wondered that because people go, oh, do you do, you know, the f- full-on fast-paced yoga? And I said, actually, I love, I mean, I like energetic yoga, but I like the stuff that you hold and it's strong. And I'm not into full yin yoga that's stretching but it obviously is that contrast that you just talked about then that just completely makes sense to me. It's where my brain slows down. I connect truly with my inner self. You know, I get to get rid of the monkey brain, you know, it like really makes me concentrate on and being present. That makes really good sense. That's wonderful. Great. Yeah, I think that's Great one of the reasons it's so hard for some people. Yeah, they hate it. <laughs> yeah, they feel like there's something wrong with them when their therapist says, you need yoga and they go try it and it's a horrible experience for many different reasons, we're not comfortable in movements that aren't familiar. And we have to find perhaps trauma-informed ways to ease into these practices so that we can access, again, this more robust movement vocabulary. So I really appreciate that personal example because when you're able to find whatever practice it is that lets you slow down if you are a very fast-paced person is a game changer. Yeah, and equally those that are slow, relaxed, whatever, to get out and do a few sprints might be good for them. (laughs) As you said, it's a contrast, right? Right, right. You know, it's also how the movement shows up. So some of us may be very, quote, scatterbrained, right? Finding a movement that actually directs your focus and attention, it makes people laugh sometimes, but something as simple as popping bubbles. You know, as adults, we're like, oh, bubbles, those are for kids. Maybe because we're used to seeing that, but every one of my adult clients has at least blown and popped bubbles with me once. (laughs) And then they go out to like the local store, get, you know, the seasonal like bubble wands and just keep them in their back pocket because there's something creative and expressive about it. But no joke for a scattered mind, it is a wonderful way for some people to actually bring in some focus and direction. So it's just one idea. There's lots of others. You don't have to be a bubble blower, (laughs) but it's helpful. 
So one of the other ones is like a, a Tai Chi I did at a retreat many years ago and it's a moving meditation and I loved that and the whole sense of watching your fingertips as you move and they said just concentrate on the end of your fingers and again for a busy brain it was the best sort of thing and it's just so therapeutic watching kind of your fingertips move through the air and through motion it's incredibly calming. It's a beautiful another thing to try. I'm curious, you know, if someone's listening and they're like, okay, what are some things I want to try this? What can I do? Do you say if you're at home by yourself and you want to give it a go, pop on your favourite tune and just like shake it all out and hang about yourself? Well, what's something that you would recommend for people to kind of get some release? Well, they can always have an impromptu dance party, but I recognise that's not for everyone. I mean, myself included, I love a good dance. I love a good song. It's not always my go-to though, you know, to be 100% transparent. So actually something that I share with all of my clients, it's something that is actually in Body Aware, is this acronym ACE, A-C-E. The A stands for awareness. The C is curiosity or challenge. And the E is express or expansion. So what does that mean, right? We want to just at any given moment bring awareness to our movement, especially when we're under stress or overwhelm. Even if it starts in the mind, right? Paying attention and becoming conscious of how is this emotion showing up in my body? The C is to become curious about it and challenge it. So if my stress is showing up in my shoulders and they're tight and bound, my way of being curious or challenging that is beginning to engage with it. So maybe that's shrugging my shoulders. Maybe it's some people will automatically notice that they start to circle them, drop them, shake them, right? There's no right way to do it. It's about listening to what your body needs in that moment. And then the E, that expansion or that expression is just continuing to move through that. So perhaps that shoulder roll now becomes a head roll, or all of a sudden I notice that I'm stretching up over my head and taking this big breath and sigh. That's it. I mean, that entire practice can be 30 seconds, a minute. But you can also give yourself permission, if it feels good, to make it longer and turn it into your own movement practice every day. So ACE, acing your mental health, I find is a very easy, practical way to start becoming more aware of your body and how it correlates to your mental health. Uh, Great one for us to finish on, Erica. It's been so cool to talk to you. Such an interesting, fascinating field that you're working in and you're clearly making a massive difference to so many people's lives. So it's been fabulous to hear your view today. Thank you so much for chatting with us. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it and I, I wish you all the best. We will have all your information, your book, everything accessible in the show notes. So if people want to learn more and I'll find out where they can go to a centre here in Australia as well or in New Zealand if you're listening over in Asia Pacific. But if you are over in Chicago way, then you need to look out for Erica's Dance Therapy. It's called the Chicago Dance Therapy School. Is that right? Uh, Just Chicago Dance Therapy. Yep. Perfect. Okay. Thanks, Erica. Well, there you have it. Wasn't that an incredible conversation? I hope you enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed bringing it to you. If you did like it, can I ask a small favor? Please rate and review on your listening platform for me. I know everyone asks this, but it seriously makes a difference to help get these conversations out in the world and makes all the hard work and effort I put into this for you all the more worthwhile. And until next time, if you have one question you'd like to ask me, hit me up on my socials or jump on my website michellejcox.com. Mm-hmm.